Me and my wife took a trip recently, and as it is, whenever we take a trip, I like to um, be as accommodating as possible because I know, you know, my wife's needs and my children's needs. So when I make plans, I, I like to, you know, make sure that we go into the best and we're having the best. She's already made it clear to me, you know, the three C's, care, comfort, and cleanliness. So, I, you know, when I make arrangements, so, of course, I get on the site and, you know, the travel sites, you get on, you know, reputable ones that, you know, you can find stuff. You look at the pictures, you know, I figured I'd go a little pricey, you know, little pictures, got a brand name place, beautiful pictures of the place, and uh, we're traveling late, and I hate flying anymore. Like, late flights really do it to me, you know, especially if I get stuck in the middle seat. And uh, we get there, <laughs> we, we get to the place, and uh, uh, as soon as we walk in, I can see my wife's face. And I'm like, okay, it's only for one night. We can make it through one night, whatever it is. Um, but the inspection continued from the lobby, up the elevator, all the way up. And I'm grateful because um, it's important that we understand as children of God, we deserve the best. Can we say that? You know, we, we don't have to settle for anything. I'm talking to everybody. Singles, you don't have to settle. All right? So I just want to make sure you guys got that. And uh, all I can tell you is that the pictures... I don't know where they were because the place looked nothing like the pictures. Okay? I'm sure that you guys have stories this way, right? Where you had this need and you had this, you know, anticipation and then what you got wasn't what you expected. I'm sure all of you can attest to that. There was even listening on the airwaves can actually come to a point where they say, hey, you know, I've been through that. You know, movie where you see all the previews, right? And then you get excited to go see it, and the previews were the movie, right? So I'm sure that every one of us has experiences that way. Today, we're going to look at a text that kind of allows us to see that even Jesus had expectations. And still to this day, he has expectations. And it's important for us to realize, because here's what's happening, right? We, we live on two spectrums every time we have a conversation, we're either on the side of preaching holiness or preaching about love. And I think that we miss the point that we can't separate one from the other. God is love. He loves you, but God is love, and he demonstrates that. And God is holy, and he demonstrates that also. And he calls us to be holy. And holy doesn't mean we grow wings and a halo and walk on water. That doesn't mean that. It just means that we set separated lives. Lives that allow people to realize that you've been with Jesus. Amen? Amen? As it is a custom in our church, we stand at the reading of God's word for no other reason except that it is God's word. It is not spiritual calisthenics, but if you need to stretch, stretch. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. I'm going to read God's word today. I just want you to listen to it. And allow the essence of it to kind of wash over you. Amen? I don't need you to read along. I just need you to pay attention. You have a sermon map in front of you. You can look at it. But I'm going to read it the way it's written. Amen? Amen. It's found in Mark chapter 11, verse 12. I'm going to read down and then jump to verse uh, 20 as well. It says, the next morning as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus felt hungry. He noticed a fig tree a little way off that was in full leaf. So he went over to see if he can find any figs on it. But there were only leaves because it was too early in the season for fruit. And Jesus said to the tree, may no one ever eat 
your fruit again. And the disciples heard him say that. Jump down to verse 20. The next morning as they passed by the fig tree he had cursed, the disciples noticed it was withered from the roots. Peter remembered what Jesus had said to the tree on the previous day and exclaimed, look, teacher, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Thank you for the reading of God's word. You may sit down. This story is found both in Matthew and in Mark. And if you look at Matthew, Matthew doesn't necessarily give us the chronological uh, event that took place. It's important for you to understand what's happening here before we go further so that you get an idea of what's going on. First, we want to talk about chronologically. We also want to talk about the characteristics of the fig tree. It's important for us to understand those things because when we look at the Bible, we immediately say there are inconsistencies. They're not. They're simply from a different perspective, and some literally read it a particular way and write it a particular way. Mark gives us specific things that Matthew doesn't give us. And the one thing you have to understand, the first thing was that it says Jesus felt hungry. It's important to understand that he was 100% man and 100% God. So it's important that you realize that we have a priest that, you know, we can identify, he can identify with what we go through. So it's not like he's, you know, this, this, this distant character, you know, Jesus felt what we feel and experienced what we experience. The difference between what Jesus did at the time when he felt these things and what we do when we feel things are two different things. And that's what we want to grow to. So Matthew and Mark kind of write about this. And the first thing that they mention is you have to understand that this happened during Passion Week. That means Palm Sunday, what we call Palm Sunday, triumphal entry, Jesus enters into Jerusalem. He enters on this fanfare of a celebration that he is king. There's a picture of it that I, I brought in. Um, Liz, can you put that up? Picture of him coming in on the coat. Now, you have to understand something that when, when it happened, he, he kind of came in, and then he doesn't ride around on the coat all day. <laughs> like, like we see these pictures and we hear these stories, and they don't necessarily um, line it up that way, right? No, the, um, the coat, when he's riding on the coat, when he comes in, Yes. Okay? So he comes through these gates, and what happens is, as soon as he gets through the gates, after he gets through the gates, he gets off the colt. And now he begins, according to the scriptures, to walk around Jerusalem, because that's where his ministry now, towards the tail end of his life, was going to be. He had to deal with what was going on in Jerusalem. It says that he walked around, and then he left, and he goes to this place called Bethany. Now, this is a message for another day, but Bethany was this place where he retreated before he did ministry. And if you literally look at the distance, it's about walking over the Brooklyn Bridge. It's a 30-minute walk. So Jesus walked around, saw what was going on, kind of realized it was too late, and he went to Bethany. By the way, Bethany is where Mary and Martha lived. His loved friend, Lazarus. Remember that story? It's also where Simon, who used to be a leper until he met Jesus, also lived. So there were people that cared for him. When he went to Bethany, he rested, and then he came back. On his way back, the next day, Monday, he sees this fig tree. Uh, Liz, put up the fig tree, what he should have seen. This is what Jesus sees. Full tree, plenty of leaves, and he's hungry. You have to sense something about the fig tree. The fig tree is supposed to have fruit 10 months out of the year. 10 months out of the year is supposed to have fruit. Depending on the climate and the condition of where it is, 
10 months out of the year. The thing, other thing you have to realize is that the fruit comes in before the leaves. Show us the fruit. The next slide on it. That's what he should have seen. When he approached the tree that was already leafy, he should have seen this because the fruit blends in with the tree. So Jesus is hungry. There's this appearance that there's fruit on the tree because it has leaves and the fruit comes before the leaves. Stay with me, please. He approaches it and there's nothing there. It means that this tree had an appearance of having fruit but had no fruit. Symbolically, when you study the scriptures, this particular story is about the nation of Israel. And during this time, Jesus does two things. This story is mixed with the story of him going into the temple and turning over the tables. So he did two things while he was in Jerusalem doing this ministry. I don't know about you, but slowly but surely, he was starting to get people upset. So he curses this tree by telling it that your appearance looked like something, but it wasn't true. He turns over the temple. He's talking about their worship. He referred to their worship, how the house of God is supposed to be a house of prayer. And you've turned it into a den of thieves. He passes by this, and he tells literally, symbolically to Israel, Israel, on the outside, it looked like you had it going on. You had all the rituals, all the holidays, all the celebrations, yet inside, Nothing, nada, zilch, absolutely nothing. This also slides into today. It tells us about, as Christians, those who profess Christians, but walk a life as if they don't know Christ. So on the outside, you look beautiful, all cleaned up, all dressed up. You've nailed down the Christianese. You have the leather Bible. You say hallelujah and glory to God. You got the Christian hug down packed. <laughs> but inside, there's no fruit. There's no evidence. The question always lies if they busted into this room and arrested all of us, and the charge is you're a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? As you stand before the judge and he goes through everything because James hits on this. James says, faith what? Without what? Without works is dead. So yes, you have this faith, but there has to be this works. And if you go to Galatians chapter 5, it talks about the fruit that we should be bearing. And people say, well, you know, I'm kind today, but I'm not kind tomorrow. You know, I'm gentle today, but I'm not gentle tomorrow. Again, we're talking about fruit. We're talking about this thing that we are Christians, and as Christians, we have to be mindful that there's a certain evidence that has to be displayed, certain characteristics that we have to live out. And God is love, and God is holy, and you cannot separate one from the other. You have to fuse them and realize that in the midst of God's love, he calls us to be holy. He calls us to be separated unto the Lord. And you have to be mindful not to enter that place of, of, of somebody told me this the other day, going on this rant of religious zeal, right? Come on now. Somebody was helping me out the other day, all right? 
But when you just go on this rant and you tilt the scale so far that there's no room for grace, there's no room for that love that God is talking about, that there's no room for compassion and gentleness and kindness. Let me tell you something. Jesus, I know, was both tender and tough. Both tender and tough. He drew the children unto himself, and then he flogged a bunch of people. Why? Because there are moments for both. There are moments. We call it tough love, but it's not really tough love. Sometimes we cross that line and it becomes abuse. And we have to be mindful that the, the, the discipline shouldn't match, right? And, and, and I love, um, you guys have heard Charles Stanley and Andy Stanley, right? It was amazing how Charles raised Andy. He kind of put the responsibility on Andy. When he came in later, he says, hey, how you doing? <laughs> he never really said anything to him. But he grew up in a godly home and he realized, okay, wait a minute. My father has set certain boundaries for me to live by. And I continue to cross over them. And the God that we serve has already set a place for us to walk on. He has set a path for us. He, he, has, he has allowed us to see what life should look like as those people who serve God. Those people who call themselves Christians. And what I love about this text is it just reminds me that a lot of times we can get all dressed up, all cleaned up, and still be rotten to the core. There are people who are heaven-bound but are no earthly good. I'm not talking to anybody here. That's the other church down the block. Okay? But if you're in this room, the call is for us to step out of that place where we become so complacent and so comfortable that we dress up the outside but are not doing the work that is necessary on the inside. Now, you have to understand that God is the one that does this work. We run to Jesus for this. I was sharing with the team earlier this morning, there is a Spanish song that talks about um, the shed. And in Puerto Rico, we always had a shed on the outside of the house. And it's there where everything got fixed. Okay, that's where everything got fixed. Sometimes we got to the shed and we had to get fixed. Okay? The point is that at the back of the house, there was this place where all the tools were and the work of fixing the tire or the piece of wood, that's where it happened. And there's a Spanish song that talks about us going into the shed and allowing Jesus to work on us. It sounds a lot better in Spanish. But it's the work that has to happen, the willingness for us to allow God to chip away at those areas in our lives that not necessarily bear the fruit that is required in our lives. Amen. There are attitudes that we carry around. There are behaviors that we continue to participate in. There are things that we indulge ourselves in. There's also this place where we become so self-righteous because we got it and you don't got it and you got to get your own. That we forget that someone, a brother mentioned it earlier, someone prayed you into this room. Someone prayed you into this room. And you should be praying for others to come into this room. But Thursday night, when we have prayer, four people show up. It's important for us to show up collectively, to cry out for the sick. Listen, when we started this ministry, what moved me about this ministry when I came to visit was Wednesday nights. For those who are still here, who have still been around that long. We used to meet upstairs for prayer. It was the first time I was ever allowed to speak. Right? People still remember. I carried a garbage bag. Somebody, George still remembers it. But it was, I would walk in and people were crying, weeping, just gnawing at the altar. And I know why. 
Because at the very beginning of our ministry, it was just a bunch of addicts who were glad that they were clean. And they were just glad they weren't using. And they were just so grateful for Jesus. They were crying. It's snots coming out of their nose. They were just crying. A bunch of us, John, you, you were there. You know, we, we just cried. And I walked in and I used to see that. I was like, oh, my God. And God began to move and he began to bless. But here's what happens to us. We get clean, we get good, and we forget how it is that we got here. We got here through our knees. We got here on our faces. We got here crying out to God. But what happens is we get sophisticated out here in the West. We get sophisticated to the point where now all of a sudden it's like, Lord, thank you. See you later. And we walk away. God, you know me. Don't worry about it. And you keep moving rather than spending time in a way that God requires of us. Again, your leaves on the outside look good. You all look good. I want to come to your house. No, you can't come. I got to clean up. What do you got to clean up? Right? <laughs> you ever get that? What do I got to clean up? Everybody knows this is the temple of what? Yeah, it's the temple of the Holy Spirit. God dwells within us. And he's there to do a work in us. Because he realizes that no matter how good you look on the outside, it's not the outside that matters, it's the inside. Because the Bible is clear to say that what's going to come out of you is already in you. So what comes out of your mouth, where is it coming from? Your heart. Some of us need some heart surgery. We need to get on that list. We need, we, we need some bypass. We, we need some coronary check. We need to fix our hearts, guys, because it's showing. It's showing in our interactions with one another. Listen, the bottom line, the pastor talked about disunity last week. The problem with disunity is sin. That's it. That's it. It's just sin. It's your sin. You think more of yourself than you do anybody else. So because of that, there's no humility. And you don't have to mention your humility. You have to play it out. That's the fruit. On the leaves, you're saying, oh, I'm being humble right now. Well, thank you for advertising it. But it's not really what you're doing if you have to mention it. The problem with this unity is sin. The problem with the church today is sin. You're going to cap out wherever you are because of sin. Because you're not doing enough time in that shed. You're not in that shed long enough. When it starts to hurt, you get out. When God says, no, you can't, you can't do this anymore. He says, no, nah, I like the way this outfit fits. I like this outfit. No, nah, that garment you can't wear it anymore. You have to put on this garment that I have for you. It's a garment of praise and worship and righteousness. Righteousness found in Christ Jesus because your righteousness is like filthy rags before the Lord. So there's, so, so there's nothing you can do except come to Jesus and say, Lord, I, I am this leafy tree that's bearing no fruit. Help me. Help me that I may bear fruit. Help me that I can be that person that I need to be in my home, at my workplace, with my family, with my friends, in my church, for crying out loud. In my church. Being a pastor of a local church is not the easiest thing in the world. Some of you think that we just sit around and pray all the time. You should hang out and see the schedule we have, the amount of counseling. I would counsel someone where I'm sitting there, and I really want to hit them with the Bible. <laughs> like, in my mind, I see it played out like, you know, mother-in-law with Jennifer Lopez banging her mother on the cake thing. It was like, I just, I'm thinking, right, this guy's an idiot. Like, really? Like, what? Like, what is he? Oh, my God. Bam! <laughs> you know, like, that's what my counseling session should be like. But no, I got to say, well, you know, the word says that this is what you have to do and stuff like that. 
And sometimes we just need a smack in the face. Wake up. Wake up. Enough is enough. You've been around for a little bit. Your gratitude shouldn't just be this leafy experience of yours. Your gratitude should be demonstrated by your interactions with one another. The character of Christ is present in your life. Let it come to fruition. Let it do what it does best. If, if you're a father, for crying out loud, I did not know how to be a father until I came to Christ. I did not know. I was, I was pulling from this material that I got. And my father didn't speak much, didn't hug much. He, he didn't do those things. And, and so I had to learn a new way because after a while, putting your hands on your kids is not the answer. It's not. It, it's the same way. I, I still, man, I am so grateful for God because I still am, I, I don't know how to be a husband. I got to continue to try on a regular basis. Like, I, I don't know how to do this. I don't even know how to be a Christian. There are moments where things vie for my attention. There are moments where things pull on me and say, hey, man, you can do this. You know, you, you're not doing that, right? It's a comparison of doing, no, I mean, you're not doing crack no more, so it's okay. You could have a drink, right? You're not doing crack. No, so you can have a drink. By the way, drinking is a drug. Alcohol is a drug. We, we know that, right? Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Okay. I just, just want to make sure. It's just, you know, so, so we have to be mindful of that. Yeah. Some people are like, oh, you just blew my head, man. <laughs> but the reality is just that. The reality is that, man, I can't do this on my own. You can't do it on your own. None of us can do it on our own. And it's a shame when we develop this religiosity, this self-righteousness, that because now you're clean and you got, you know, you, 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 you're reading the word a little. You still don't know Jesus. Because to know Jesus is not to act the way you do. Or the way I do. To know Jesus is not that. And everybody says, well, you know, Jesus, you know, I said, you don't know Jesus. I have the kids sometime, you know, in school, they say, you know, when I give them something to do, and they say, oh, God, I said, don't you use that name. You don't even know him. And they're like, okay, okay, okay. Don't use the name if you don't know him. And don't use him in lieu of something else. That's a violation of the commandments. Using the Lord's name in vain. Just say what you want to say, but don't substitute it for Jesus. Again, I'm talking about a certain characteristic of that fig tree, a certain characteristic that you have to have if you're saying that you're a Christian. If you're coming in day in and day out and you've been sitting in this room more than a year, you should know. Editing. You should know. You should know because intrinsically we already know what's right and what's wrong. Don't justify, don't rationalize, don't try to explain it away. Don't use that scripture and bend it and twist it to fit you. Make sure you read before and after so you understand, oh, I missed that one. Right? This week we're having a conversation with a bunch of guys and somebody shot out a text that had nothing to do <laughs> with men. <laughs> it was about women dressing modestly, right? Somebody said, oh, it's beautiful. Everybody said, oh, men are beautiful. I said, whoa, slow down, fellas. <laughs> slow down. <laughs> right? Keep it in mind, there are characteristics that we need to exhibit as people of God. And it's important for us to understand, but we can't do it on our own. In John chapter 15, it reads something like this, and I wanted to take you there. John chapter 15, it's going to be on the screen. Look what it says here. It says, I am divine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is that bear what? He is what? That bears what? 
Again, I, I didn't, again, fruit, fruit comes up a lot in the Bible. It started with a fruit. Yeah, it started with a fruit. Okay? And we see a fruit. And it says that we're supposed to become fruity. Right? We need to bear fruit. It says this, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. Listen to me. I can't be kind. I don't know how to be kind. I have a brand of my kindness. It's not God's kindness. I have a brand of my gentleness. That's not. It says I have to abide in Christ. I have to learn from him because I, I can't do it on my own. Nobody in this room can do it on your own. It goes on to say, if anyone does not abide in me, now listen, big word, not. If you're not abiding in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and what? Burn. Burn. Now, now, now be mindful of this. He's talking about being barren. He's talking about being fruitless. He's talking about a Christian who his faith is not lining up with his deeds, his works. Go to the next slide, please. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, what has to abide in you? Okay, how can that happen if you're not reading it? You rely on me to bring a couple of scriptures to carry you through the week until next Sunday. So you're collecting 52 scriptures a year <laughs> when you should have time in which you're spending reading God's word. I don't know about you, but there's stuff that I read that just wrecks me. Like I close the Bible after I read it because, first of all, it upsets me. It upsets me because now it's challenging me. And it's challenging me because it's the shed work. It's God saying, okay, Bobby, this is not who you're supposed to be, and you need to fix this. It says his word abiding you. Now, you have to understand something because the, the stuff you're taking in is going to come out of you in the situations that you find yourself in. Everybody understand that? Because April 15 is coming around. Everybody silent. You know what April 15 is. IRS. Okay, is when you put down 30 dependents. Okay? The, the kids in the projects are not your kids. All right? The kid you give a piece of candy to is not your kid. Okay? What I'm saying is that if there's a dishonest part already in you, remember the Bible says that a man is enticed because of what's still in him. You're lured because of what's still in you. And that's why I'm saying this shed work has to continue to happen because God proves that you can bear fruit, but he also says, abide in me. For without me, you will do nothing. You see, God, we're his workmanship, and he cleans us up, and he puts us on display so that people can see what he can do with a life that fully surrenders and yields to him. The fruit that is birthed out of that is the transformation that happens as a direct result of you being with Christ. The disciples were identified by the fact of how they spoke. Someone immediately identified that it appeared as they had been with Jesus because he had taken some of the most unqualified, unskilled individuals. He had taken the foolish things of the world to bring the wise to their knees, to, to bring them to a point that says, man, weren't you just a fisherman? Weren't you just this? Weren't you a thief like two weeks ago? Right? But when you're with Christ and his word is in you, there is something that begins to happen. You become fruitful. 
That there is a demonstration of what God is doing in your life through your actions, through your behavior, through your interactions with one another. When you find yourself in conflict with someone, how do you resolve that conflict? When you find yourself in a situation at home where things are not going right, how do you deal with that? First and foremost, what I love about Jesus is that his ministry was in Jerusalem, but he retreated to Bethany. He went around people who were going to fill him up and nurture him, you know, feed him and look out for him. He said, okay, I got to go to Jerusalem now. Pack his bags up and he would walk the 30-minute walk to Jerusalem and he would address the situations over there and then he would come back. He began to deal with things on a regular basis. This trip would end because it was Passion Week. There would be a day when he would enter Jerusalem and never leave it. And he walks in that day and it's in Simon's house in which he kisses Judas. And he says, go do what you got to do. Go do what you got to do. His ministry was in Jerusalem. Bethany was a place where he retreated. He spoke to the nation of Israel about their worship. How you worship me with your mouths, but your hearts are far from me. How you think worship is a few songs and not a life. Worship is your life. Worship is a reflection of who it is you call your God. If you call the chair your God, then it's a wonder why you're still sitting down. It's a wonder why you're not moving, because it's immovable. It's an immovable, inanimate object. It doesn't have eyes, arms, or a heart. I got to tell you something, the heart of God beaks for you. It beaks for you. And people say, what killed Jesus? Right? Everybody wants to blame the Romans. He gave his life up for us. And it wasn't just enough for us to, to, to come to a place where we pray a prayer and say, God, come into my life and do for me what you need to do, you know? It's not enough. Imagine if the 12 that he ministered to and loved on would say, oh, well, Jesus is gone. We got to go back to fishing. What happens to the world? This is something that is uncontainable. This is something that can't remain in us. But I got to tell you something, that if the, what do you guys call it? The audio doesn't match the video. Am I saying it right? Yeah. Guys, you guys are helping me out a lot. All right? If it doesn't match, it's kind of hard for you to convince anybody about your credibility. You, you, if you love Jesus, it looks a particular way. Right? The Bible says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. So, so everybody's like, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's, that's kind of hard for me to do. You're right. This is where this scripture comes in. It says further on, by this my Father is glorified. By what? By your fruitfulness. By your demonstration that Christ is living in you. He goes on to say how? That you bear much fruit. God wants us to bear fruit. Evidence of God's glory. Somebody asked me the other day, is it okay for Christians to prosper? Absolutely so. God gives those people that prosper the gift of generosity. He says, oh, I don't know, I feel bad sometimes because, you know, I got this. So give it, give it away. You've got to give it away. That's got to give you a generous heart. That's fruit. People who are prayer warriors, that's the fruit that God inflicts. You know, I'm telling you that there's, there's gifts in this room that God wants to unleash so that you can bear fruit because it says that you must bear what? A little bit of fruit? Much. And so prove. Okay, stop right there. Much 
and prove. You have to have evidence. Evidence of you being a Christian. Stop laughing at those water cooler jokes. Stop hanging out on the street corner talking to you. Stop being in front of the church talking nonsense. Stop that stuff. It's not a reflection on the church. It's a reflection on you. You know what, you know what bothers me when somebody tells me my boy? <laughs> Your boy. My boy, what are you talking about, my boy? As if what? They're blaming me for your mistakes. If it was up to me, they'd be in a basement until they got it right. <laughs> they'd be shackled and tied up until they got it right. But that's not freedom of choice, is it? You need to prove there has to be evidence that you are spending time with Jesus. Saying yes is not enough here if you're not saying yes all the way. Because again, cleans you up. A lot of leaves. Right? There's a need. The world has a need. And they're seeing you looking good. You got the bumper sticker. I love Jesus. You got the shirt. I love Jesus. But there are people around you that need Jesus and you're not willing to be Jesus. I know you didn't come for that today, but I figured, why not? Why not have a conversation about this? Why not really point to some things that we really got to get to? Listen to me. The church is God's church to build. But he needs people who are willing to partner with him in the building. It's why the Bible says that he's given us all gifts, talents, and abilities for what purpose? For the edification of the church. The church. I don't know about you, but there is something unique happening on this corner. There is something unique happening on this corner. Maybe you're saying, oh, man, there's a lot wrong here. Well, go to another church and stay there for two weeks, and you're going to see there's a lot wrong too. Right? And there's probably going to be more wrong because you're going to show up to that church. <laughs> so, if God has brought you here, God has brought you here for a reason. He's got you here for a reason, to work things out for you and to help you abide in him so that you can bear fruit. What? So that the world can see that God can do amazing, amazing things with the people who are willing to say yes, not only at the cross, but everywhere. 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 You have to understand this whole thing. God was talking about our worship, our worship, and our ability to demonstrate that we are believers. Are you a Christian? And it, don't answer that, please. Don't, don't, don't do that. Because what I'm asking you is stop announcing it and start acting upon it. That's what I'm asking you to do today. Enough of announcing it. You can't just announce it anymore. Let people be amazed by your fruit and let them come to the conclusion you must be a Christian. You must be a Christian. You have to be able to do that. I thought about a way of helping you to remember this and visualizing this, and I'm thirsty, so I wanted some orange juice. 
And I'm not advertising for Tropicana. If you're listening to this audio, I have a Tropicana um, orange container with orange juice, and I'm going to pour myself a cup of orange juice. Everybody good? Right? Everybody tracking? Right? So now, what should come out of here is what? Why? I don't understand. So what should come out of there is orange juice. Is that correct? Okay. Do you see the problem with saying that you're a Christian? And then what comes out of you has got nothing to do with what you've been saying you are. I'm going to ask the team to come forward. I don't know. I don't know about you, but I don't know about you, but there are moments where I don't necessarily feel Christ-like. There are moments where, you know, I struggle with my walk. And I'm grateful for, first and foremost, the Holy Spirit and his word. I got people around me that continually help me um, and I'm grateful for that I have a wife who I know loves me and you know sometimes I feel like she's in that shed chipping away and reminding me of what I should be I'm grateful for that because um, and we're going on 30 years now July 1st no If you're applauding for anybody, it should be for her. You know? You know, in the military, they give you like combat crosses and medal of honors and blue crosses for bravery and courage and all that stuff. She should get all that stuff. Because there are days where I, I'm not too Christian. So I go into the shed and I say, Lord, I need your help. And if there's any of you in this room that are like me, that I know my flaws and how damaged I am, there's no doctor that can fix me. There's no medicine that can help me. There's no therapy that can straighten things out. There's no acupuncture. There's no going to some temple. The only one that could help me is Jesus Christ. And I know that today. I didn't know that before. There were places I ran to to try to, you know, get the help and straighten myself up. Maybe if I jump into this one's arm or if I drink this or if I do this, maybe if I go in that direction, I, I, can, I, can, get, I can fix it. But it was temporal. It didn't last. I want to finish well. And the only way for me to finish well is for me to abide in Christ. It's the only way. I don't want to go anywhere else. I don't want to travel too far from where it is that I have to be. So I want all of you in this room to stop announcing that you're Christians and start acting like you're Christians. I want you to stop falsely advertising 
take off the bumper sticker if you're not going to act right. Take off the sign and the cross on your door in your house. Stop doing those things because the world is watching. They're calling us hypocrites because the church is not acting like the church. We're advertising, but we're not living it. And the first place we have to live it is in this room with one another. Because the Bible is clear. Judgment starts in the church, not in the world. Because the people who knew should have done better. People who are aware of the truth should live out the truth. If you're in this room and you don't know Christ, the reason you've been invited into this room is so that you can leave with Christ. You no longer have to suffer. You no longer have to live the way you're living. Listen to me. 26 years ago, Christ interrupted my life. He held a mirror before me and says, you ain't that good. And I realized that the only one that's good is my Father in heaven. Because he is good, he can make me good. So if you're in this room and you don't know Christ, just shoot up your hand. I want to pray with you. I want to pray for you. It's so important that we don't leave this room not knowing Christ. I see your hand, brother. I just want to encourage you so you should know that Christ loves you. And he meets you where you are, but he loves you so much more not to leave you there. He wants you to bear fruit. He wants you to grow. He wants you to be that person that he wants you to be, not that you want you to be. Stop falsely advertising. Stop assuming that you are better than what you are and realize that you're worse. But there is one with tools in hand willing to make you and mold you into the person that you should be so that the world would know that God is alive and well.